Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky, and welcome to 2017 here at the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. We've Yay. made it another year, Jorna. That means Jorna Taylor is with us. Uh, Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna, welcome back. Welcome 2017. You couldn't possibly be worse than 16. No way. <laughs> Not possible. No. Uh, it is always possible, and uh, as always, Robert Craig is also joining us. Robert is the executive director here at Citizen Action. Welcome to 2017, Robert. Happy New Year, I guess. <laughs> it's a positive panel today. Yeah, well, and it is cold. Yes, very, very cold, and it's probably appropriate given um, what we're headed into both federally and at the state level, and we're going to tackle a couple of uh, key areas both at the federal and state level. We'll start by talking about... Uh, the efforts to repeal the Affordable Care Act or begin to re repeal the Affordable Care Act. We'll talk more about that, get some whatever clarity exists, we will try to get there. And then we're also going to have a special guest, Representative Eric Genrich from the Green Bay Area is going to join us to talk about the state-level uh, legislative issues that are going on. The legislature was sworn in this week. And uh, we're going to talk with Eric about what we can expect and then also kind of what we think Democrats ought to be doing uh, over the next couple of years to lay out an alternative vision. In addition, we have spring elections coming up. So we'll talk a little bit about the fact that there is no progressive candidate running for the state Supreme Court. And we have some DPI news about uh, uh, Tony Evers, uh, probably main competitor Humphreys, and apparently he's uh, going to keep getting paid. But with that, <laughs> with that... Uh, Robert, we're gonna. I'm gonna turn to you right away to lead our our discussion on the Affordable Care Act. Um, it's no doubt Trump and the GOP have bandied about we're gonna repeal this. It's gonna be day one. It's gonna happen. Our last podcast we talked extensively about this. That first week they're gonna get back. So it's the first week, and it, it's kind of confusing. It appears they've started down the road. They've done some initial things this week to set about the process to start repealing, but certainly we're a long way from repealing the Affordable Care Act. What's going on? Let's give everybody, listeners, what's the most important things people need to know about what's happened? Well, they've started a process that can avoid the filibuster. That's all this is. There's a budget reconciliation process that has to reduce the deficit, which can go with 50 votes, which they can do without Democrats if they can maintain full unity. And they also have this thing where they had they promised, this is their biggest promise, you know, they're, that they're going to repeal Obamacare, so they need to take some votes that seem to be appealing Obamacare, repealing. The problem is, by the way, this budget uh, instructions they've sent, which simply instruct the two budget committees to come up with plans to meet the budget benchmarks, okay? So it instructs them to take away the money. So it's repealed. For for the subsidies uh, and for Medicaid expansion sometime in the future. They have to determine that in order to meet the budget targets. Uh, so it's not actually repeal, but the problem is it's taking the money. Ultimately, it starts a process to take the money, which makes it even harder for Republicans to live up to their promise, as Paul Ryan said famously, that no one will be worse off. Uh, Trump has repeatedly said it will be great and will be better, and Republicans are saying that no one will be cut off. Uh, Ryan said this week, we don't want to pull the rug out from anybody. We don't want people to be caught with nothing. No one's going to be worse off, Robert. So the problem is if you don't pay for low-income folks for the Medicaid expansion 
and you don't or you and they can't afford private insurance even if it would be sold to them by the fine for-profit insurance companies and if you do not provide premium subsidies and you don't provide a marketplace where you can buy it which is what the affordable care act marketplace is then uh, 30 million people, according to the Urban Institute, will lose their health care. And they have no plan. And by the way, this is sort of like we're pushing people out of a window and no one will fall. That's what this is. This is about the law of gravity. There is no way to do this without money. And what does that mean? And this is why this is happening fundamentally. This goes back to why they opposed the Affordable Care Act so, so strenuously. In their worldview, everyone can be guaranteed affordable health care without the government which rather than being seen by them as our democracy, our great contribution to the world as a country, is some alien third party, right? And so they're going to pull out the government, and they're going to be marketplace patient-centered solutions, which they can't specify because they don't exist. And so they, I know that they have much more unity than Democrats, and they're very hierarchical. But being able to hold all of their members through this long process, it may take, according to some experts, a year to go th actually go through the full budget reconciliation process because it's very complicated, actually. Uh, uh, to hold unity during this whole thing and have them walk over a political cliff where they will fall after they pull 30 million people off their health care is a lot to ask of their caucus. Their solution, I think, is to try to confuse matters so much that they can throw people off while blaming Obama and Obamacare for that for their actions and to confuse the whole process. They, they're not of unity on that, but that's the only path forward uh, as far when you look at what the path, the steps they've taken and the political box they put them in, selves in, by lying endlessly since 2010 about Obamacare, about health care, and now lying in this campaign about how they were going to lower health care costs and make health care more affordable and accessible for everyone, which is their campaign promise. No one will be worse off, Robert. Um, and no one will fall off the cliff when we push no them off will, the cliff. Right. People like me will will be better off with this. Um, you know, the good news about it taking a year is that maybe our um, senator, our esteemed senator Ron Johnson, will have time to read the bill. I, I don't. I don't know. We found that he's you know an intellectual superior um, in cases like these. So, well, and, and let me just say sure. one other thing about this. Progressives have had a lot of frustration that conservatives can lie, 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 lie and get away with it and win elections by lying, lie about every element of social policy, climate, the economy, everything else, right? Uh, racial equality, everything else. They actually do. This is, I like the analogy. I'm not sure it came up with it, but a lot of people are using it, that the dog caught up to the car and doesn't know what to do. But unfortunately, the, car pro the, the dog promised he was going to catch up to the car, so they have to do it. Right. And so they, they've made it such a political issue. They've spent so much money lying to their own base. They have to seem to repeal Obamacare. But a lot of their, their smarter folks know this is potentially a nightmare and a disaster and a destruction of conservatives long term. So they're going to try to figure out how to throw people off and to survive politically in the process. So you can imagine they'll have to double down on the lies to an extreme extent. Well, look, I, I want to follow up on that. There's already they're already starting to show some fissures on on their side because uh, of the complexity of this. Uh, Cornyn's already talking about how this is going to take a long time. We got Olympia Snow already saying that. Uh, you know, it, she's already a moderate, so someone right. that they would Cornyn be, is no moderate. No, but he's but, just smart enough to figure well, out yeah. right. the problem. Well, and this is the, he said this after meeting with Pence, which tells you a lot. They got that's, President Pence, you mean? <laughs> look, this is ultimately the wild card, Trump, right? Trump is the wild card because he's not beholden to any, like any of this stuff, right? Other than he said tons of crazy things. 
Um, who else? We're, um, a senator from uh, West Virginia was actually star- a Republican. Who's the Republican senator? I can't remember. But was starting to talk about concern around this, right? Because West Virginia has so many people that signed up for this stuff, right? Yeah. Total chaos. Uh, was it, is it Snyder yeah. from Michigan? So you got Republican governors now starting to put pressure. He, they took all the Medicaid money, right? Michigan, and went around and bragged about it, right? So you've got real issues, real lives that are hung up in 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 this basically Walker, this promise. Walker, to the not among them. Walker advocating for block granting Medicaid so he can drug test Badger Care recipients. So Walker is not among the uh, the voices here that is uh, seeing the problem. So you're right, this is really, really hard for them. And here's their problem with Trump. I agree with you totally, Matt, is that the, he's a wild card not only in that he's willing to be unorthodox, uh, he's also a wild card because he may make a rash decision in the middle of the night and tweet it to the world. And so as this gets worse and worse, they have to worry about waking up in the morning or having their staff wake them up at 4 a.m. Ah, sir, President Trump just tweeted that. Well, here's the good news. This will be in large part an issue for newly reelected Speaker of the House, Paul Nalen. Oh, God, no, Paul Ryan. Well, you know, Jorna, I don't know if you heard, but Paul Ryan this week was bending over backwards to talk about how close his relationship with Donald Trump is. Yeah. He was saying that they talk like every day. In fact, he said they're like every, they have coffee. They he said it's like hand in glove. So As yeah, they're really working it. very Little close. Yes, they're Trump Trump really close together. As we talked about late in the year on the podcast. <laughs> Trump only threatened him at his own rally at, uh, in West oh, Allis, and so we, you can see how quickly that will turn around and. You know, Ryan recently got a pants on fire from PolitiFact for saying that that the Affordable Care Act was why Medicare was in trouble, when in fact this repeal will move back the date where Medicare runs out of money in its trust fund 11 years closer. And so it was funny because the PolitiFact folks from Milwaukee Journal Sentinel said, we're very surprised that someone with the deep budget knowledge of Paul Ryan would make such a statement, so apparently oblivious to his whole career, which has been built on lying about public policy. And all they said, let's be clear, the Journal Sentinel, all they said was, we're just surprised, not what the hell so again this is going to be a fascinating experiment to watch one why first is it of all, being enacted on us well though? but here's the thing right obviously it's incredibly serious because we're talking about over 20 million people with the affordable care act tens of millions of people uh connected to the expansion of medicaid uh, but trump is the wild card and i do want to point out i think it's worth pointing out bernie sanders seems to get this and on wednesday uh, all he could talk about was the trump tweet and I want to play this because I think this is important, and it's drawing so an out. Of, it's also yes, and we it's have audio also of the Trump tweet. And I'll put no. We have of Bernie's okay, response. So, but it's important because Trump's the wild card, and he showed earlier this week uh, with the rules committee or the, the uh, uh, that they were trying to do around the rules that he has a power. So I think it's worth playing this. I want people to hear this. On May seventh, two thousand and fifteen, Donald Trump tweeted, "Quote." I was the first and only potential GOP candidate to state there will be no cuts to Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Now, the point is, Trump didn't just say this in passing. He didn't say it in the middle of the night. He didn't say it in a particular interview. This was a cornerstone of his campaign. He said it over and over and over again. Donald Trump said He will not cut Social Security. He will not cut Medicare. He will not cut Medicaid. Therefore, one of two things. 
are true. Either Donald Trump simply lied to the elderly and the working people of this country and just made campaign promises that he had no intention of ever keeping. That is one reality. Or there is another reality. And that is right now, before Congress wastes an enormous amount of time, Donald Trump has got to come forward, maybe through a tweet, one of his tweets, and say clearly that Donald Trump will veto any legislation that cuts Medicare, that cuts Medicaid, or that cuts Social Security. And if he makes that clear to his Republican colleagues, we can save us all a whole lot of time and start getting to work doing what this country desperately needs to have done. So what's important about this, right, is it's calling out Trump and trying to engage him in a process that right now technically doesn't include him and get him inserted in. And maybe that's a wild card. And on one of the one of those issues that Right, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, it's not just about the Affordable Care Act. He's making it much broader about health care, right? And talking about that and reminding people this isn't just about, quote, Obamacare. I know he referred to Trump's tweet, but hopefully he got it down to a tweet because that's the president-elect's preferred medium of communication. And 144 <laughs> words is about his of letters is about his attention span. Weren't they going to expand Twitter to not have a limit? That's going to be real bad if that happens. <laughs> well, and... and Sanders, and by the way, that clip that we just played was from a press conference this, in, in the morning on Wednesday, but then later on he went on the Senate floor with a giant placard of the tweet, which has gone around on social media, and it's doing all the things that is fascinating that uh, it's a rather, it's an older man like Bernie Sanders who's actually showing people around how we can use some of the modern uh, technologies while well, that longer stuff is not going to end up on the nightly news I've necessarily. Been saying for a while that Bernie is going to be more, one of the most influential senators who's not Senate majority leader in uh, in in recent history because of the, the base of people that listen to him. He's also the one who called for the January 15th Days of Action on health care, which is going to take place all over the country and says that action will be working on. We'll get more on that as the specific details develop. Our revolution will be televised, Robert. <laughs> so we It's are, an organization, too, now. Uh, that... We we do Hence want the pun. Oh, oh, this is good stuff. So uh, we do want to flag that for everyone on Sunday, the fifteenth. We are going to be a part of National Day of Action around healthcare. We will have all the details next week, and we'll have multiple locations around the state. But with that, we need to switch from the federal to the state, and we have our first guest, our actually our only guest, uh, that is State Representative <laughs> we're guests Eric. Sometimes. Yes, exactly. So we're gonna we're gonna get on the line here, State Representative Eric Genrich from the Green Bay area, to come and talk with us a little bit about previewing the legislature. Eric, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Well, so uh, you all got sworn in this week, and uh, we're headed back to work, which. For progressives, is you know, it gives us a little pause. We have great concern about what might be coming down the pike. So, a couple things we wanted to chat with you about. The first thing is we'd we'd really like to get your thoughts on what are you most concerned about that might be happening this legislative cycle. But then after that, we want to talk about what progressives and what Democrats ought to be focusing on to sort of lay out an alternative vision to what will be happening in the legislatures. You bet. 
Yeah, so like you said, I was just uh, sworn in here on Tuesday for the, the third time, entering my third term in the State Assembly, and unfortunately, um, you know, not much has changed as far as the political dynamic is concerned in those three uh, terms thus far. So still remain in the minority and, you know, expect to be fighting back against a lot of uh, pretty regressive policies, um, you know, including things that we've seen in the past, uh, you know, further attacks on wages of middle-class workers in the form of the potential elimination of prevailing wage standards, um, you know, accelerated voucher expansion, privatization of public schools, um, continued disinvestment in infrastructure and, and public education, and, you know, unfortunately continued regressive tax cuts for millionaires and corporations. Um, those are the things that have been openly articulated, I think, by a number of um, my Republican colleagues in the legislature and Governor Walker. I'm sure there are other things um, that they have in mind, but, but those are some of the, the larger items that we're um, you know, gearing up to fight back against. Well, it sounds uh, like quite the um, list <laughs> of things that we continue to fight about against. You know, one of the things, and thank you for joining us today. I know you're busy with getting underway here with Session. Uh, so a few days ago, Minority Leader uh, Barca was quoted as saying that Democrats are going to have a more focused message this year. And I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on what that might look like uh, going forward into this legislative session for progressives and for Democrats. Yeah, you bet. Um, you know, the old, uh, the old saying is I'm, I'm not a part of uh, any organized political party. I'm a Democrat, um, which is uh, unfortunately um, more true than maybe it should be. So, you know, many of us have our own ideas <clears throat> about how we should move forward. But I think Representative Barca is right that we do need to be more focused, more unified. Um, my opinion is that, you know, what we really need to do um, is to, you know, demonstrate to voters both in our urban centers, in Milwaukee, Green Bay, Superior, you know, and at all points in between all the rural communities that make up the state of Wisconsin, that we fully understand the indignation um, that they are feeling with our political and economic systems. I think it is more than fair to say that our politics and our economics are and have been rigged against working people for the last 30 odd years. You know, really in, in my entire lifetime, we haven't seen an increase in working uh, people's wages. So, you know, I think that's really important for us to do to just demonstrate that we understand that we are absolutely appalled by what's happened to working people um, in this, this generation, and we are prepared to, to fight with them and against, um, you know, those who have rigged the system. Yeah, this is Robert, uh, Eric. I couldn't agree more. And I think that what unifies voters who voted for Obama that switched to Trump and uh, voters that include a lot of some people of color and young people who did not vote at all um, is, is that they think the system is rigged. They don't think their democracy is relevant anymore. Uh, and one way of, of showing that was not voting. Another way was to vote for a reality TV show star and not caring about the consequences because you're so fed up with the system. So there's a fundamental problem with the system. And I, I want to propose something to you, uh, Representative, and see if you agree. 
I think that one possible strategy that uh, your caucus could pursue is to look at what they are saying, uh, what the majority is saying, because the majority is increasingly actually adopting a lot of progressive values in terms of its goals. You hear Walker saying that he wants everyone who wants a job to have one, for example, and then the policies, there's a total mismatch, right? So when you look at what Voss said in press this week, he said, everything we can do to fill the state's jobs openings, including helping prepare people who have been incarcerated, drug users, or welfare recipients for employment, uh, and and then he talks about helping rural districts uh, that uh, who don't get enough money uh, in their school districts. So the problem is, is that they'll declare that as the goal, and then the policy won't even remotely do that. That, in fact, what we perhaps should be thinking about is not only calling them for not actually doing what they're proposing, but offering proposals, bold proposals, that would actually achieve these goals in order to, and, and draw the distinction between a caucus that wants to solve these problems, actually wants to uh, dramatically increase employment and help people who have been incarcerated, for example, or people who are, who are addicted to substances to get jobs, versus people who say that but then do nothing that would uh, remotely at the scale to achieve it. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I actually, you know, wrote a column probably about a year ago now, sort of juxtaposing um, quotes from both FDR and Scott Walker, um, saying, you know, very similar things about um, providing jobs to all uh, who are interested in having one. Um, so I think you're right in that, you know, they have sort of adopted some of the messaging that we are very familiar with you know, with regard to the full or full employment, um, but the policies, you know, don't deliver. So, you know, in the column, I, you know, suggested, you know, the massive expansion of our transitional jobs program, Transform Milwaukee, which, um, you know, is obviously taking place in Milwaukee, but on a on a, a totally insufficient scale and has been authorized to expand to a number of urban centers but doesn't have the funding to do so. Um, so I'm very much interested in, in working with you and with David Reamer and, you know, folks from COWS and others um, and my fellow legislators, of course, to, to roll out um, some policies that would actually fully employ you know, all those who are looking and, and are, are wanting a job in Wisconsin, because I think the benefits of that are, you know, I think both political, but more importantly, um, the benefits to working people under, you know, an, an economy that fully employs all those who are interested in work uh, would be dramatic. Well, sign us up, Representative. Uh, I've told you privately, probably not the podcast, that we're working on a 10-year plan, full employment plan, living full living wage plan for Wisconsin uh, that would also uh, meet the climate targets we need to prevent a, cli a climate genocide. And so going very different direction than Walker or Trump. And so we'd love to work with you on that. And, and I think that this shows the limitation of just having a, a, an against their policies position, because the public, even in the best case, is left with, well, at least they're trying. So what, maybe we should just let them try to make it better when you don't offer a, a bold alternative and really uh, be in a position to, to point out very clear in, in a clear way that they're not actually serious about addressing any of these problems. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, and like you said, we, you know, we t talked briefly uh, and privately about some of those efforts to put together that 10 year plan. And, um, you know, I just actually returned from, from Germany a couple weeks ago prior to the holidays um, to learn about their 
their energy transition. Um, they're doing some amazing things. Uh, you know, now their energy portfolio is up to, I think, around 35% renewable. Um, and there are, of course, some growing pains that are associated with, with that rapid transition, um, but also some, some incredible opportunities um, that have been uh, made available to, to workers in that green economy. So, um, yeah, really excited about those efforts and would love to play a role. What is this climate change you guys speak of? I don't believe it exists. I believe that is, if I'm correct. I, in fact, I was just on the DNR website today, and I read that it's uh, still in debate, Jorna. Is that true? Did you hear about this, Eric, Eric? what are you guys talking about? I think you wasted your time in Germany, according to the new DNR website. <laughs> climate change has been uh, deleted, so yes. that uh, makes things a little bit simpler for all of us. Yes. The rest of you. Well, more than deleted, it's greatly endowed yeah, uh, no, and being debated in the halls of, of, of science and, and the academy, apparently, and outside s- of the DNR. Hold up, hold up. What is this science thing science. you reference? Is that based on facts? Because we live in Trump's America where those things don't exist unless it's tweeted in the middle of the night. Oh, we digress here, uh. Eric, as we're known to. Actually, um, back to the topic at hand, um, one thing that I do want to point out that is actually embedded in what Voss was talking about and Walker talks about it, and unfortunately, I think sometimes as Democrats, we start falling into it. It's this skills gap and this idea that there is a glut, that we have so many jobs out there that we just can't fill them because people don't have the skills, and and it's really kind of going after the, you know, beating up on the workers when there's still very good research that we trail the nation in job creation, that we're way behind in the amount of jobs that we need to create, particularly jobs that aren't, you know, just low-wage poverty jobs, which are still the bulk of what we're creating, um, and that we try to really get out front of talking about the need to create good jobs and not just somehow make it seem like the problem with the economy is we don't have enough skilled workers, which is what Voss is setting up, and they want to push people off of programs into these lousy jobs, right, that are the only jobs that are available, right, not these high-quality jobs. But anyways, that's a bit of a commentary. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I I agree, certainly, with that analysis. And I know that uh, there's a professor at UW-Milwaukee who's done some good work on on this issue. Um, You know, I I certainly um, am fully in support of, you know, training workers and retraining workers and educating students who are interested in in entering um, technical professions. Um, But I think you're right to, you know, make the point that, you know, what we're suffering from as an economy and as a society, not just in Wisconsin, but across the country, um, is, you know, insufficient wage growth for working people. Um, and if, you know, the wages were sufficient um, to motivate people to, to get the training to enter some of these professions, we wouldn't see that skills gap, right? I mean, it's a, it's a wage problem. It's not really a skills problem. At, you know, at the same time, to reiterate, I think we absolutely need to invest in public education from four-year-old kindergarten all the way up through high school, through tech colleges, through our university system. Um, but the skills gap, um, as it's been advertised, you know, I think has been um, crafted to, to reinforce an agenda um, that Boss and Walker and others have, have been pushing for a while now. 
And in fact, if, in fact, I agree, Representative. And if you don't change the structure of the economy fundamentally, then all it does is, even if successful, and by the way, they're not even going to scale to prefer the work, but to prepare the workforce, right? But even if it did, it simply gluts out these professions so they can be paid uh, substandard wages. So uh -huh. unless you unless you have other structures in the economy that actually give workers uh, some leverage and not just large corporations all the leverage, it'll actually bring wages down, even if they did do what they're promising, which is I want to point out they're not, but even if they were, it would not solve the problem. Yep, no, I think you're right. So before we let you go, Representative, uh, I just want your thought on one quick thing. So um, Speaker Voss has said, yay, medical marijuana, and uh, Leader Fitzgerald has said, no, not so much. Is this a bait-and-switch distraction tool, or do you actually think that Voss has come around and he's smoking some doobies? <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but I think there, it, it seemed as if uh, Senator Fitzgerald was genuinely surprised by, by Voss's comments. There has been a bit of a divide on, on the CBD legislation, which was passed by the Assembly but did not um, get adopted by the, the State Senate um, before section was out last time. Um, so I wouldn't expect the Assembly Republicans um, to move forward with any kind of medical marijuana bill this time around. Um, but, you know, I, I think there is maybe some sincere difference in, in, in opinion there. I just, you know, of course, I just worry that this is another distraction tool while we're doing things like furthering gutting the university system and, um, you know, stripping any sort of remaining protections on workers. Wait, do we have any of those? Anyway, uh, so I just wanted your your two cents on on the change of heart. <laughs> right. no, I think you're totally right to make sure that we keep our eye on the ball. Um, you know, marijuana laws have not been very effectively liberalized in, uh, you know, many states that don't have the initiative process. So, you know, th this commentary is, um, you know, it is largely wasted, I think, in the near term, especially with current leadership. That, uh, that does appear to be the case. And with that, uh, Representative Genrich, we really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today and look forward to uh, chatting with you down the road and working together on some of that vision that you laid out today. Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me. So with that, we need to talk a little bit about local politics, state politics, spring elections, because we have some statewide races coming up. Uh, we have one. We have what? I thought, no, stop it. There's two. Is it? No. No. Oh, what happened, Jorna? Uh, so um, progressives have not been able to field a candidate uh, against Ziegler for state Supreme Court. Well, because she's really good, right? She's, she's super good. Super we love good. her so much. And she's top been, of the line jurist. She's, been, um, she's demonstrated time and again Shares that she our really values. does the right thing when she needs. And right, by right, I mean capital R, right thing. Uh so, so yeah, so papers were due on the 3rd, January 3rd, to run for spring elections, and she is unchallenged. And I, you know, a couple of things on this. One, there's a lot of hand-wringing among progressives about this and a lot of finger-pointing, and I think that all of us take some responsibility in this, right? I take as much responsibility for not helping to recruit a candidate as everybody else out there should, so... um 
you know, yeah, this is a this is a shortcoming. It demonstrates our lack of a bench when it comes to these sorts of seats. It demonstrates the lack of importance that we actually place, despite all of the talking points that we say these are really important races to us. Um, and yet, you know, we end up in the same split in the same spot where we now have an uncontested statewide seat against this very arch conservative. The second thing that I will say is that it's interesting to watch this sort of internal progressive fire go back and forth because. Some of the um, folks who are pointing the most fingers at people who, you know, get paid day to day like us to um, recruit candidates and to do things are the, you know, you don't have a candidate, you didn't find a candidate, are the same people who think that there are a bunch of back rooms where we handpick candidates like Mary Burke and Hillary Clinton and other folks to run. So I I think that this is just sort of an interesting um, time that we are living in. We don't have a back room. Wait, there's n- I've never been invited. Brian, Maybe it's because I'm a woman. We've been getting charged rent. Like <laughs> it's like a hundred dollars a rent for that room, that secret room where we select fine quality candidates. Hey, I mean, well, you know, and that gubernatorial candidate that we have for 2018 right now that we've selected. You know, well, look, your point about like taking all of us taking some responsibility is is well well stated, Robert. Well, the problem was the indoor smoking ban. The rooms <laughs> needed, needed to be smoked. Oh, that's filled. why we that can't use it. it. Okay, let me be a, a, a little bit contrary, and I don't actually disagree with any of Jordan's premises, but let me take a different direction, and that is to say these Supreme Court races and judge races in general are bloody awful. Yes. And the whole idea that we'd have an educated public that was uh, no. looking at the qualifications of these candidates and the way they run. They all pretend to be impartial and therefore can't really take position. So what do you what do you freaking organize around, right? Uh, it's not if this was a, a race for governor or or legislature where you people take positions and you can try to get a progressive candidate elected, that'd be fine. But they all pretend to be impartial. Therefore, knows wink wink nod nod which which uh, kind of politician they'll be wearing black robes. And then you have big money politics and the uh, WMC's takeover of the state Supreme Court and the amount of money that would have to be raised and spent. I mean, what uh, judge or other prominent lawyer wants to go and do that and get destroyed on the airwaves, get lied about? By the way, every single candidate uh, for, for Supreme Court somehow helped child molesters because there are TV ads on both sides. It's true. Uh, so apparently there's some way, if Jorna was to run, there's some way Jorna helped child molesters if she was to run for state Supreme Court. I don't know how, but the opposition researchers will find it. Uh, you know, whoa, whoa. You know, you were, a, hey, you, whoa, were a, you were a brownie, and therefore, you know what I mean. I was actually a brownie yeah, for so like there two you weeks. Go. I'm just saying. I mean, they find a way. I was, was been joking about this for a couple of years. And so we really probably should be for merit selection, uh, of judges because having judges elections in the Citizens United world has become a nightmare and a disaster. Uh, and so I guess you, you, the argument would go, Jorna, right, that you need to w- play by the rules of warfare that we have now and we need to create the infrastructure in order to recruit people who will run and then, and, and then we can win these multi-million dollar races uh, where we're spending everyone's money on these disgusting ads on both sides. I guess we, we could argue that, and that may be what has to happen in the short term, but we should be thinking about what kind of system we want. And I, I don't think Supreme Court elections, despite all of the beliefs of progressives a century ago about how elections might work, are ever going to work in the near future like they should in, in a health, healthy way to, to, to elect the best and most qualified judges to, to make the supreme laws of our state. Well... That's very compelling arguments from both of you <laughs> on this. Um, look, it's 
Robert, your point is well taken, and we sit at some of these tables uh, that try to help. Do so there aren't rooms; there are tables. There's tables, clear, okay. right? Let's non-smoking tables. And, and and these tables are our best effort in what is in our anarchical structure of the way we're all organized on the left, and quite frankly, that's what it is. It is an attempt to try to plan as much as possible. And so, Robert, you bring up the point, right? Like, it's incredibly expensive. Um, there were no real candidates that appeared to be in the pipeline, bruising, bruising defeats. And the reality is it's an issue profile that we've gotten clubbed at for all the reasons Robert brought up. It's, it's an issue profile that hasn't been good for Democrats, progressives, whatever you want to say. Um, but there's also some just base, basic mechanics of how you run an election that have been bad for years for us on Supreme Court races. We don't have enough infrastructure that's invested in these races that dumps money in on these races. So it ends up being a couple of groups that are really funding. And, you know, there just hasn't been a lot of resources out for these races over the last couple cycles. And our candidates have been left out to dry, right, essentially, as Robert said. So who wants to, who's a serious candidate, put themselves up? And who's putting in the money or going to go put in all the effort if it's just quixotic from the reality that we're going to lose at the end? So that's a technical standpoint. But it from, from a movement standpoint, it's depressing, right? And yeah. it's because we don't have the infrastructure Robert talked about. We're, we are sort of on our backs and thinking about how we rebuild some of this infrastructure so that there would at least be a candidate who would surface to go run the fight. And maybe if everything... Who knows what April looks like? Remember, uh, what's a Kloppenberg, right? Uh -huh. Remember 2011, right? Well, Nobody that, thought then, that was going to... Then there was all this hand-wringing. It's the wrong candidate. We need to make sure yeah, we have well, the right candidates. Then we go, oh, let's have no candidate. Yeah, but at least Joanne <laughs> stepped in and ran Absolutely. and was there and was, and was there when, when, and, and seized an opportunity. We will and not have that opportunity. she a better and better candidate. I thought she was actually quite a good candidate in a lot of ways by the, the, by the middle of her second race. Well, and you know, we don't have a bench also because the majority of all of these statewide you know, circuit court judges and things like that, they run unopposed. It's an appointment essentially for lifetime once you either are appointed in the, or run for re-election once you've had the seat. And, you know, the demographics of what that looks like statewide are, you know, white men um, with some exceptions in Milwaukee, Madison and things like that. And so there's, there's really no incentive there either. We're, we're just not doing that great of a job in general. Yeah. But, so I know. think it comes full circle to your initial comments, right? I think this was actually a really good discussion and, um, we all need to take responsibility and actually create a movement that isn't required where we have to have gobs of money to have a candidate feel like they can come out and have fight a competitive fight statewide in what ought to be a 50, you know, is a swing state, right? I, so it I is, worked on a Supreme Court race. I was staff on a Supreme Court race. It sucks a lot. <laughs> so... We do have one other thing, spring elections related, and Jordan, I know you have some information on this. We need to talk a little bit about um, Tony Evers' main candidate, Humphreys, John Humphreys, and John Humphreys, apparently, uh, re this guy used to work for the Dodgeville uh, School District to the tune of $92,000 a year, thinks he's going to run for DPI, decides, oh, well, I'll, of course, resign because, you know, running for DPI is a full-time job, however, has now has a sweetheart deal where he's essentially a consultant now doing the same job for the same amount of money while running. So apparently so. 
<laughs> so there you go. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. I, would, I would say, I mean, this is so this is our only statewide race. And this is a really critical election for us, a seat to maintain. And Tony Evers is doing a good job. And we, you know, we've talked on this podcast time and again about the fight for supporting public education. And this is, you know, help us, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're our only hope in some ways. So all those folks that were going to volunteer all their time on the state Supreme Court race, they should just volunteer all their time for Tony Evers. I would say Mr. Humphreys is showing great proclivity for modern politics in Madison within the Republican majority. <laughs> you know, the skill with which he's remained paid but claims to be, you know, running full time and not not having any conflicts of interest. This is perfect. No, he's worth it. $650 a day for his services, the taxpayers of Dodgeville, while he runs a full-time campaign for DPI. Seems like... Uh, Seems like a good way to kick off a campaign. We'll so have to get the hourly on that. Yeah. So, anyways, Jorna, your point is exactly right, folks. Uh, Tony Evers uh, is out there, and f- people need to get involved, get some information. We'll be talking more about that race as we go forward, uh, and getting involved uh, in that and talking more. So, Robert, got any last? You got one, one thing more thing before furloughs, and it's our previous topic, but I just want to make sure people know about the DNR website because we said it fairly quickly uh, with Representative Gingrich, but. Um, it now says it used to say that there's global warming and it's man-made, human-made, and it's going to affect the Great Lakes in a lot of ways. And that was removed and replaced with uh, denial language, classic denier language. It says, the Great Lakes in a changing world is the headline. As it has done throughout the centuries, the Earth is going through a change. No one's causing the change, right? And I love that language. It's just a change. The reasons for this change at this particular time in the Earth's long history are being debated and researched by academic entities outside the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources. So, you know, that 99% of climate scientists say that this is a freaking certainty. No, no, there's change going on and no one knows uh, where and how. And by the way, this is getting reported in the national and international media and as evidence of how bad it might be in the Trump era. So we're again... Wisconsin used to be the place that, you know, was a leader and people looked to and having good progressive policy. Now we're, you know, Mississippi, Alabama, doing crazy things that people in Europe are saying, what's wrong with these people? And thinking it's part of the Trump uh, era. Well, Robert, when you are not reading the DNR website this weekend, what will you be doing when you come out of your political bunker? Anything fun uh, in this frigid Wisconsin? So I'm not allowed to talk about our big healthcare no. planning meeting that with the Milwaukee Co-op no. on Saturday morning, no. No. or speaking to the physicians no. for National no. Health Plan no. in Madison on no. Sunday at 1 p.m. No, in no. Madison, no. Okay. No. God, you're a nerd. So what are you doing in between? We that? are now in, even though we still have the national championship game in college football there coming you go. up. This we have the the heart of college basketball season has begun with conference play. And uh, the Badgers are doing very well and are playing the hated Purdue Boilermakers. And then uh, my undergraduate institution, the Pitt Panthers, are having their dust up with Syracuse at the Carrier Dome. And so both the Big Ten and the ACC are brutal this year as far say, as the Syracuse level of competition. ain't what it used to be, I would, I would have to it's say. It's also that, having Roberts. a problem. The ACC is already brutal, uh, cannibalizing itself, where Louisville's 0-2 as well. So it's the toughest conference, arguably, ever in college basketball history this year. So if you ever want to... Chat college basketball. Robert your, is your guy. Jorna, what are you doing this weekend? Does it involve horses? 
Sp- sports ball. Sports ball. No. <laughs> you doing sports I, I'm, ball with Antetokounmpo? I'm gonna. I'm gonna. You know, watch some of the sports ball. Uh, no, I'm. I mean, yes, there'll be some horses, but it's frigid outside in Wisconsin, and George the horse does not appreciate the cold, and so I will just go and you know shove treats down their throats and tell them that they are wonderful, and then I will probably just hide in my house to stay warm and drink red wine. You should put the blanket Peter Rickman brought for George over Reno this weekend when he visited. <laughs> you know, I've heard that horses have really good instincts. Like if they hear someone bad on the radio, they react. I wonder if you ever played any of uh, President-elect Trump's uh, speeches for, for George or Reno? No, they're, they're not real. They're not actually voters. <laughs> they just oh. might have a reaction and some insights. <laughs> yes. It, it, coming from one end of them. <laughs> well, listeners, as you can see, 2017 will be just as good as the previous 2016 in the furloughed apartment. I'm hoping to get on the ice this weekend. It's going to be cold enough. Uh, last weekend, uh, my son raced indoors into Coin, Illinois, and this week we're putting ice tires on. So we got a couple months of ice. It's the only way to make it through this winter. So with that, we want to thank Brian Woldrich, who makes the podcast happen Woo! every week, year in and year out. And of course, thank you for Representative Eric Genrich for joining us. With that, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground.